Hello, everybody, and welcome to Care Talk. My name is Laura Packard, and I'm the executive director of Healthcare Voter. I'm also uh, someone with firsthand experience with the American medical system because I was diagnosed with cancer five years ago. So I have gone through surprise medical bills, hospitalizations, fighting uh, these bills, uh, trying to get the care that I needed. And we're here at Care Talk to answer your questions, to have the experts uh, give you some free thoughts and advice. Uh, So please call or text in your questions and we will get you answers in future shows. And our first question today is from Kathy, uh, who wants to know, is it legal for long-term disabilities to stop paying when they've decided you should get your checks for social security instead? Uh, I'm also told that once you do start getting SSDI, your long-term disability can demand repayment. So what's the point of having a long-term disability policy if you aren't really getting paid? Uh, To help answer that is our special guest, Peter Grumbles, uh, from the law offices of John Dunlop, where he is registered disability specialist for SSA. Uh, So today he's going to be answering your SSA and SSDI questions and also talking more about what the differences are between the two and uh, things you need to know. So, Peter, uh, what about uh, Kathy's question about uh, getting long term disability? Hey, Um, well, thank you. First of all, thank you for having me. And I am I'm a Social Security Disability Representative with the Law Office of John Dunlap. I'm also a member of NOSCAR which is the National Organization of Social Security Climate Representatives. Um, so Kathy's question is actually a really good one. And so in order for me to frame this up, um, let me first tell you about there's two different types of, well, the most popular types of disability assistance uh, through Social Security, which handles the bulk of disability uh, for the government, is Social Security Disability Insurance, um, also known as Title II, and uh, Supplemental Security Insurance, which is also known as Title II. Um, Kathy's question directly goes to Title II. Uh, she's asking about, is it legal is it for long-term disability to stop paying you when you, they decided that you should get your check and from Social Security instead? Um, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing there. And it's a great question. It's a very smart question. Um, and so to break, break this down, it really first off de- depends on where your long-term disability policy is from. Um, if you've purchased disability insurance on your own and you're paying 100% of those premiums, there is no offset. Um, now, if you, it's also your, your disability payments are also non-taxable. Uh, but in this, seri- this scenario that she presents, this is an em- employer-sponsored policy, meaning that the bulk of the premium is paid by the uh, under the Employment Retirement Insurance Security Act of 1974, um, also known as ERISA, uh, long and long and short term. Uh, so under that that policy, uh, basically to kind of condense it down, the federal law allows employers that are paying into your disability insurance for an offset against your Social Security disability. Uh, many of you have worked on Social Security federal law, on, on federal law before. And so you're kind of all too familiar with like this carrot and stick approach that government awfully, often takes with things, uh, whether it's uh, penalties for work or anything else, um, you know, especially in the, the, the areas of immigration. Well, the carrot to get employers to buy into the retirement disability insurance 
is the ability to recoup their costs if the employee is also found to be disabled by Social Security and if the disability coverage overlaps. So meaning that the period that the, that the employer is covering you also overlaps with the period that Social Security is, is covering you for as well. Additionally, under ERISA, if you're awarded a long-term disability, the, re the law actually requires that you apply for Social Security disability. So it's not an either or, or it's not something that they're leaving up to your judgment to do. You're actually mandated to go apply for Social Security disability, um, and you are mandated to appeal those any denial you may receive from the Social Security Administration until administrative remedies are exhausted. Her question basically is, um, is it worth getting it? The, abs the answer is resoundingly absolutely yes. For one, the bar that you have to jump over in order to be quote, uh, qualified as disabled by private insurance is a much easier hurdle uh, than compared to uh, social security disability. Uh, on top of that is it pays you up to 60% of your salary and typically will last until you reach the age of 66 to 67. To compare this to Social Security Disability, Social Security Disability, if you're fully vested in it, is maxes out at $3,345, and that's as of this year. Um, Social Security Disability is also a much more stringent, uh, especially depending upon your age. Um, and where you, and also there's this thing called the grid, which I won't get into unless somebody asks, but depending on how you fall on that grid, which is measures not only your age, but also your level of education. The main thing to take away from all of this is that it's, and like all systems, is that they're a workaround. And so what I would suggest is that if you are in the scenario that she's in, where you've been awarded long-term disability, and then you also have social security disability offset, is go and talk to your, uh, your long-term disability plan about a repayment. Um, now, there is one caveat with this. A lot of times that Social Security, when you win your long-term disability case, is that your insurer will offer you their attorneys to represent you on your Social Security disability. Here's, in my experience, uh, this would be a mistake, is to take up their, them on their offer. Again, I think we've kind of learned with a lot of NDAs that have come out, especially when you're represented by a company, is that these attorneys, their loyalty is a little bit mixed. It's a mixed bag, right? They're being paid by these so, by these big insurance companies. And the first thing they're going to do when they find out that you've been awarded Social Security Disability is tell them. And then the insurance company is going to come, come after their money. Um, what I would represent, again, I've, as I mentioned before, is that I'm a member of the National Organization of Social Security Claimant Representatives. We actually have an 800 number that you can call and... Um, and basically they will put you in touch with a certified representative that practices social security disability law, like myself. Great, and do you have that 800 number handy? I do, I do. Uh, so the number is 845-682-188. And Great. call and they will put you in touch. Great, uh, and our next question is for Natalie, who wants to know how much is Affordable Care Act health insurance going up in 2023, since nothing has been done uh, by Congress uh, so far to uh, get rid of the cliff that we're facing, where rates are about to go up by a lot next year. Uh, and to answer that question is Alika from Health Sherpa. Alika? Thanks, Laura. Um, so, at a high level, the American Rescue Plan did two things to improve um, access to uh, subsidies on the Affordable Care Act marketplace. 
Um, it firstly allowed people who previously made too much money to qualify for subsidies to get assistance for the first time. Um, and if these expansions aren't continued um, and Congress does not sort of continue those subsidies, um, about one and a half million people in those situation in that situation are going to lose their subsidy entirely. So they're going to be paying full price. And by the way, the full prices are, are likely to go up quite a bit this year. Um, the second group is um, that the what the second thing the American Rescue Plan did was um, make subsidies more generous for people who already qualified for them. Um, so about nine million people are in in that bucket where if these subsidies are not extended, um, people are going to be paying, um, they're still going to get some subsidy, subsidy, but they're going to get less than they were. Before. Um, so how much more you personally are going to pay is going to depend on which of those categories you're in and also what state you live in, because certain states have um, their own subsidy programs that kind of affect that as well. But at a very high level, um, we're looking at average increases between about $50 and $100 a month. And really important to note, that's the that's a, after all the subsidies are applied. That's the amount that's going to come out of your pocket every month um, as someone enrolled in an ACA plan. So this is a huge, huge problem. Um, and uh, we're, we're waiting to see what, what's going to happen with these expansions. Absolutely. And this is a good time to contact your representatives, contact your senators, contact your U.S. representative, and make sure that they know that you want them to do something about the fact that Affordable Care Act health insurance plans uh, costs uh, may be skyrocketing at the end of the year if they don't do something. Uh, and word is that uh, the Senate is working on this. Maybe they're working on something. Uh, this month uh, before they break uh, for August recess. So this is really the last chance for them to solve this problem. And uh, from what we hear, it's uh, up in the air, whether they uh, do this or whether they do something else. Sounds like they're working on a plan to lower the cost of prescription drugs, but the uh, health insurance piece uh, is very much up in the air, which is why you should call your senators, call your representative and ask them to do something now. Our next question is from Freddie, who is 62 years old uh, and receiving SSI and wants to know, can you get Medicare if you're retired with employee insurance? Uh, Peter? So another great question. Um, so the answer on this is yes, but it depends on your, when you first apply for any type of social security in your SSDI or SSI insurance, is you list a date of when you, this is known as your, now here's the one thing to consider is social security will consider um, when you first began making accommodations at work because of your disability. So while you may have uh, stopped completely working on a specific date, if you had to make accommodations, you, meaning like you weren't able to work full time or you started having to take time off work, and maybe that happened maybe a year before you actually full stop stopped working, go ahead and list that. You want to basically, you want to push it back as far as possible, not only because you're going to, get, going to get more money, but also because under the rules of Social Security Disability, you need to be, quote, disabled for 24 months before your access to Medicare insurance kicks in. So... So they're going to look at those two years, especially with SSI or Title 16. They're going to look at that two years of medical history. Um, again, it's not just the thing to remember is it's not just when you completely stopped working that you became disabled, but when you were first start, started, forced to start making adjustments. Um, mm -hmm. And so it, then it gets down kind of into the, the nitty gritty. 
of a question of what it's called substantial gainful activity or SGA, which is defined by the, the Social Security Administration as an income that is less than $1,350 per month or 10 hours of activity per week. Okay. And uh, uh, for that onset date, uh, could that be when, when you're diagnosed with a condition or if there's an accident or something like that, would that be your onset date? You can list that, it's, it, but it's, it's kind of like it's a, a negotiation between you and Social Security. Social Security will consider that. Um, and, but then during your application period and then your subsequent appeals, if that happens, they're going to kind of try to figure that. A lot of what I do when I get into the hearing stage, which is the one of the, the final stages of an application process, is working with the judge to figure out exactly when this person files sick. And that's really, it's based upon a preponderance of the evident medical. So for example, if you have, uh, let's say cancer, um, when you first became diagnosed and started receiving treatment for that cancer is when your onset date, okay? And uh, one thing to also consider is under the rules of social security is that you're, you absolutely have to go through with treatment. Um, Social Security is kind of a good way to explain how it works is like a five-speed gear shift. The first first gear and second gear are absolutes. You can't get into any higher gears unless you get after those first two. Okay, so the first one is going to be considered your SGA or substantial gainful activity. You know, have you been working above that within the past 20 months? Number two is do you have a condition that you've been diagnosed with that's either it has lasted or is expected to last longer than 12. Once you meet those criteria, then you move on. Um, and under Social Security, the third step is you're considered, you have to have a condition that is considered uh, under the rules of Social Security to be um, severe on a scale of moderate to severe despite, the, despite treatment. So you have to receive, uh, you have to be receiving, receiving medical treatment. And despite that medical treatment, you cannot be getting any better. Um, and so this is one, you know, we talked about the carrot and stick approach. This is a really tough hurdle because think about this, under the, if you comply with the first two steps, you, that means you haven't been working, right? You haven't been earning SGA. That means you haven't been making more than $1,300 per month. You don't have any money. And then despite not having any money, you still have to be able to be receiving, uh, receiving care, you know, it's really, this is really kind of drives home why it's so important to have uh, publicly open uh, facilities that are not privately owned because at these publicly uh, publicly managed facilities like the state hospitals, they can't deny you even if you owe money to them. Okay. They still have to treat. Mm -hmm. It's also another thing is, is that it doesn't, it, it's never, ever one. Um, I see so many people that when I get in there, I start talking to them. And we start talking about the fact that, hey, look, you've been out of work. You know, you've been getting treatment for this condition that you have. Okay, well, how have you been feeling? Well, I'm really depressed. Well, have you been talking to your doctor about this depression? No, I haven't. Okay, well, let's start that, let's start that conversation. Because, it, again, it's not only does it, is it a single condition that you're getting treated for, for example, cancer. But let's say not only are, do you have cancer, but you're also you're also severely depressed because your life has been turned absolutely upside, upside down. So let's start getting you starting you getting treatment for that. The administration has to consider all of the, your all of your condition, and then that weighs upon the scale. 
okay? And we really want to get that arrow pointing from moderate to severe. So that way you qualify for the benefits. There's another step four um, and step five when I talked about the five speed. Step four really falls into, there's a rating scale of heavy work, medium work, light duty work, and then there's sedentary work that corresponds with your age and education levels. And then there's the final fifth step that any that social security has to consider and that's jobs in the economy um you know and they they rank you uh, versus skilled work and unskilled social security has definitions for all of this stuff okay um and so that all comes into consideration when wording but anyway thank you yeah you're welcome uh our next question is from eileen uh i have missing and broken teeth and i have much difficulty chewing i especially need two implants amongst other work i don't have the money and i can't get on a care plan due to years of health issues leading to poor credit i'm an insulin dependent diabetic and i have to eat and it can be painful it's frightening to have to guess about my insulin dose if i can't chew enough I've tried dental schools with no success for a number of reasons. I make too much money on survivor's benefits to get assistance. Uh, I've reached out for, but I do have severe food allergies and the food I have to buy costs way too much money, which is where I think I run into trouble. Uh, any ideas? Uh, Alica, uh, do you have any thoughts for Eileen? I do, and I, I just want to start by acknowledging that access to quality dental care is a huge, huge problem in this country. and. You know, we, we talk a lot about how bad things are for medical care, and in many cases, they are even worse. And one key issue is, is really brought up by Eileen's question, which is that there are some dental services that are necessary to help people function and live their daily lives, eat. Um, like Eileen is mentioning, um, that they need implants. Um, and some of those services are considered cosmetic and aren't covered by many insurance plans. Um, so again, you know, if this caller um, wants to pursue dental coverage, there are a few routes that they can explore. Um, if your income is less than around $1,500 a month as a single person, it is um, often a good idea to apply for Medicaid, even if you have not qualified before, depending on your state rules, it's really based on your current income. So that is something you can do and just be 100% sure. Um, to be clear, Medicaid doesn't cover dental in every state, but they do in, in many. Um, and what is covered really varies. Um, implants are often not covered, uh, even if your state is covering um, some of those more extensive dental services, um, again, because they are considered cosmetic. Um, but uh, you may be able to prove that they're medically necessary, in which case uh, you might that might be one route. Um, you know, I do want to acknowledge there are other dental coverage options out there, um, for example, through the Affordable Care Act marketplace, the on-exchange uh, dental plans, or dental plans through private dental companies. And again, in most cases, they are not going to cover dental implants either, unfortunately. Um, you know, both of those uh, types of coverage are not eligible for any financial assistance. So they are at full price and can be several hundred dollars a year. They often also have waiting periods. So even if you um, were able to find something that covers some of those more major uh, cosmetic medical services, they're often going to make you wait um, unless you've had some prior coverage in the past. So again, you know, not too many good options here, but for this individual, um, if they've exhausted options with dental schools, with local nonprofit clinics, which can be another uh, place to explore, there are some nonprofit organizations that offer grants for dental care that's considered cosmetic. So that would be sort of the last resort. But um, Pete, I'm not sure if you have thoughts too. Uh, as far as receiving dental care, just that it is so essential to be able to do this. And again, 
Um, I know one of the services that I, I'm constantly, when I constantly intake my clients is that I'm sending them, uh, I, I will look up free clinics and in, their, in, the, in the area, depending on where they are, and I will send them off uh, to start receiving some of that care. And dental, dental is absolutely one of them. And it's really crucial uh, to be able to get that. And depending on what state you're in, check to see if there are any nonprofit advocacy and also uh, consumer-related health uh, care organizations. Like here in Colorado, there's a great nonprofit called CCHI, Colorado Consumer Health Initiative, and they uh, not only do advocacy work, but they also uh, can fight bills, can uh, hook you up with providers and so on. So if you've tried uh, finding uh, low cost or free sliding scale uh, dental clinics, dental schools, try the nonprofit health care organizations in your state. Hopefully there is one or two and they may have access to additional resources. Uh, they, they may be able to give you some advice there. And our next question uh, came in from Instagram. Um, I'm a disabled person and unfortunately I was denied SSI because I didn't have a five-year work record, even though I'm only 19. Uh, Pete, can you speak to that? Um, yeah, absolutely. So um Getting back into the differences between SSDI and SSI, I, I, what I see a lot of times is people will apply for SSDI because it's the more easier program to apply for. In fact, you can go on to the Social Security's website, um, SSI.gov, and you can do your application there. Um, it sounds like to me that she applied for SSDI. Um, and the, with SSDI is that there is a, there is a work component to it. Um, if, for example, when you work, you pay into it. And what Social Security does is they tally up how many quarters you have. Um, and I think the, the last number I heard is that you have to pay on average about $89 per year in order to keep your benefits active under a social, the Social Security, okay? Um, and then as you pay more than that, it goes on into the future. And so that will you know, cover you into the future if you ever become disabled. With this person, she's 19. She doesn't have a five-year work history. However, under SSI, which is supplemental social, uh, supplemental security insurance, that doesn't really that shouldn't uh, that shouldn't be a problem because with SSI, that's a needs-based program. Okay, that's where the uh, the, the the federal government's uh, GA, where if you are under a certain amount of income, you should be able to qualify for that. Uh, as long as you meet the income threshold, which coming back to my, my illustration of the five speed gear shifter, um, the, f the first two gears are what you have to, uh, what you have to meet. Additionally is if, are you still in school? Um, uh, in this scenario, she might be out of school, but if this is a problem that began when she was a child and is carried on over into adulthood, then that's also another different scenario. Um, and so that's definitely something that you'd want to talk to either a disability representative about. Here's the most important thing to remember, though, when you're dealing with Social Security, whether it's SSDI or SSI, and that is your appeal period. You only have 60 days in order to file an appeal. If you miss that 60 days, unless it's a, unless it's a listed excuse that Social Security allows for, for example, um, if you've had any type of traumatic brain injury, they will kind of allow you to go beyond the 60-day period. Otherwise, you have to start the process. What I recommend to people is that the minute that you're just that the minute minute 
the minute that you just that you receive that denial letter, get on the phone and call and find somebody to help help represent you. Um, the fees system, it's again, this is a, a federal program. The federal government regulates how much money um, you can, uh, any type of representative can charge you for it. Um, they are not allowed to charge you uh, for consultative visits. They are not allowed to charge you as far as any type of um, um, money down to cover expenses, except for in certain cases. Um, and the only way they get paid is through the, the, the federal government, through the Social Security program. They will pay the attorney or representative directly. Okay. And so that's usually taken out of your back pay. Nothing ever comes out of your future pay. So it, it's, and, and then even that, it's capped. Uh, it's at 25% of whatever your back pay is, um, a maximum of 6000 However, that was just raised to $7,200, which goes into effect in September. So it, it's worth it. It's worth it. And assuming that this person uh, applied for SSDI and not SSI, uh, how would they uh, apply for SSI? So you're going, she's going to want to look up her local field office, uh, Social Security based upon your zip code. They have field offices all across America. Um, for the longest time due, due to the pandemic, these offices were closed. And so it was really difficult. to uh, Now you, she'll have to go in and make an appointment and meet with them in person. She's going to want to fill out what's called an SSA uh, 8000. Uh, they do not disperse these forms. It's not really something you can get on the website. However, there's two ways that you can get it. One is you can go in person, like I said, to a, a local field office. Uh, for Social Security. The number two is that you can go and make a phone call and schedule a, a schedule a phone call with Social Security. Social Security's uh, phone number is 1-800-SSA-1213. Call that number no matter where you are in America and you can apply. Another thing is just to remember is who's eligible to apply for Social Security disability benefits. It's not only people that are citizens of the United States, but also uh, uh, anyone who has a like a permanent work visa or has paid into Social Security uh, under any type of uh, work program. So you don't necessarily have to be a citizen in order to apply and receive Social Security disability benefits. Okay, so that's SSDI, but SSI, is it does the same go? And SSI, again, is, it's, it is limited only to, and only to citizen, correct, and it is needs-based. You have to prove that you're under the income threshold in order to qualify. Is it possible to get SSI and SSDI at the same time? Can you be dual eligible? Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, Social Security will, they have a, a scale that on whether you max out or not. If your income isn't at a certain level for SSDI, then the SSI automatically kicks in in order to make up the shortfall. So that way you can max out. Um, a good representative uh, will definitely apply for both of them for you just to make sure that you're taking home as much money as possible. Okay. And uh, what's the 800 number one more time if people uh, need a, a free consultant? Oh, uh, it's in order for NOSCAR, uh, for the yeah, representation. Yes. So mm -hmm. for NOSCAR, the, the phone number is 845-682-1881. And then to apply with Social Security, you can go to their website or to one 800 ssa one two one three. Uh, Nosker also has a website. It's uh, N O S C N O S S C R 
caretalk.org. Thank you. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for listening to Care Talk. Please keep asking us your health care, health insurance questions, and we will get you answers in future shows. And uh, again, thanks for listening to Care Talk.